This is the City Surgery on City Talk 105.9. And it's City Talk 105.9. Good afternoon. Thursday afternoon, time for the legal surgery. If you've never heard the legal surgery before, this is how the show works. Myself, Mick Coyle, is joined by Mark Ellis, who is sat opposite me in the studio. He is a solicitor. And he answers your legal questions. So if you've got issues in your life at the moment that you need to get a solicitor's advice on, so personal issues, family matters, uh, divorce, traffic uh, uh, fines, uh, parking tickets, speeding issues, that sort of thing, and you think, I could do with getting a bit of advice on this before you take any further steps. Maybe you've been arrested or something like that. Well, we have a solicitor here to answer your questions each and every Thursday as part of Drive Time on City Talk 105.9. Good afternoon, Mark Ellis from James Murray Solicitor. Good afternoon, Mick Coyle from City Talk. It's great to see you. Great to have you with us. And I must say, Mark, for mm-hmm. the first time ever yes. doing the show, and I imagine people have got their own idea about what you look like. Yes. And they may even have been on the website and seen your page with previous episodes of the show in a podcast form. They'll notice that you, you always wear a tie. And always. I, I imagine they always picture you wearing a tie. Yes, hopefully. You're I, not I, wearing a tie today. Not today. I'm in sort of relaxed dress down mode. Really, so I'm just working from the office today. So, hence I I um, came in uh, without a tie. But I, I, you know, there's a tie to hand in the office if I need it. An emergency. An emergency tie. tie. Yeah. What colour is that tie? It's a sort of a bluishy colour. Right. Uh, and um, it's it's all coordinated with the suit. Don't worry. Right. So, yep. Yeah, if I have to do anything at a short minute, sort of a minute's notice or anything, I've, I've got the tie there. Well, we've got you for about 20 minutes now yeah, on the legal yeah. surgery, so hopefully there'll be no uh, tie-related no emergencies mm. uh, on the show. Thank you to everybody who's emailed questions over the course of the week. The email address, if you want your question answered on next week's show, is surgery at citytalk.fm. That's surgery at citytalk.fm. Uh, send it in today, tomorrow, over the weekend, whenever's convenient for you, of course, because of the legal nature of some of your questions. Be as concise as possible, but make sure you put enough detail in that Mark can give you a, a detailed response. And if you want to remain anonymous, not a problem at all. Just make it clear that you don't want your name reading out. In most cases, if it is a sensitive issue, we'll leave your name out anyway or just put your initials on or something like that uh, so that there's no issues with identification. And uh, we'll uh, rock and roll from next week uh, on City Talk 105.9's Legal Surgery. This week's questions start with an anonymous question, Mark, and it goes like this. I've not paid my housing benefit to my landlady for the past four months. Unfortunately, I'm unemployed and the only money I receive is JSA, Job Seekers Allowance, and Housing Benefit. For the past two months, I have had nothing but problems from the job centre and haven't received very much money to live on. So I've been using my housing benefit for food and essentials. My landlord rang the council because I said to them that they haven't been paying me yet. The thing is, I didn't want to pay her anyway. She opens my post, comes into my flat whenever she feels like it, blocks the fire escapes and makes so much noise I never ever got a good night's sleep. Now she is threatening me, saying I will not be able to leave the address alive. Uh, no names on that one. It seems there are there are two separate issues uh, in regard to yes. the question. Yeah, yeah, well, the first one is you're getting housing benefit, but you're not paying other housing benefit. So therefore, the housing benefit is to is to pay for your rent and go towards your rent. And you've decided not to not to use that for that reason and to uh, to buy, you know, essentials for it. Well, look, she's got to be paid her rent and therefore she's perfectly entitled to start saying, where is it? And it would seem to be from, from what you're saying in the email that you've told her a bit of a porky pie 
that in fact you've told her or you've told somebody that, that, that the the benefit people haven't paid you. So obviously she's made inquiries and realised that you're not paying her. Now, look, the benefits agency might not be very impressed with that because, of course, you've got a duty to notify them of any change in your circumstances. And if you're not doing that, and if you're not, and if you're not paying the money to the to the um, to the landlady, then the benefits agency may drag you in for an interview and a little chat under caution to say, well, what are you doing with it? So I think that's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to remedy the fact that clearly you owe that that person rent. Now, uh, the second thing is you're saying, well, actually, I don't think it's fair that I have to pay her because the conditions aren't good. Well, that's something completely different altogether. You know, she's got a duty of care uh, to you. And certainly uh, um, fire escapes can't be blocked. And if she's making noise and you can't enjoy the property, well, that's fundamentally wrong and opening your post, etc. But, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What do you deal with, first of all? I think the first thing you have to deal with is this, um, the fact that you clearly owe rent. Get that dealt with, first of all. And secondly, if then you feel, well, actually, I just can't stay there anymore, then, you know, leave the place, give her notice and tell her you're going because, you, because of, the, of the reasons that you cite in your email. But I think to, to raise those now and sort of say, well, actually, I don't think it's worth it anyway because of these things, the question would be, well, when have you raised those things the first time, uh, the, you know, the, the complaints originally? You've clearly been content to stay there for four months. So unfortunately, I think you've got to have to address the fact that you owe her the rent and thereafter decide whether you're going to give a notice or not. But I would certainly bring the benefits people up to date with what's going on, let them know there's been a difficulty uh, and see if they can help you perhaps with a social fund loan or something of that nature, sort of a crisis loan, in order to discharge the payments that are clearly owed to the lady. Okay, uh, thank you for your question. Uh, Best of luck in that situation. And if you want to email your questions to the legal surgery here at City Talk, uh, send them through to surgery at citytalk.fm. That's surgery at citytalk.fm. Somebody calling themselves CM on the Wirral. CM. Uh, I'm trying to sell my business and I've had a company out to value the business. I don't trust their value as they are not experts in the specialist machinery that I own. There is a danger the deal will fall through. If the true value is not represented, what are my options? CM on the Wirral. Well, uh, don't sell the business, I suppose is number one, uh, to the company that's looking to buy it, or two, go and get yourself your uh, uh, sort of your own valuation from someone else that you do trust. And compare and contrast the two valuations. And when you're looking to sell, it's it's negotiation, isn't it? Like anything, if you're selling a house, you're going to negotiate with the potential buyer as to how much the property's worth. And it's based on a valuation. So if you if you get a valuation that you trust and theirs is different, then you, you've got some room perhaps for compromise and discussion. So as far as what are your options, option number one is you simply say to the potential buyer, thanks but no thanks, I don't agree with the valuation, and cheerio and, and hang out there for someone else. I guess whether you're prepared to hang out and, and wait is a matter again of economics and how badly you want to sell the business and move on and maybe start something else or retire or what have you. So really, you know what your uh, what your options are and, and your best alternative to to um, selling to to this business. But the other thing is simply go and find yourself uh, someone who can provide a valuation that you trust. Get that that get that valuation and then you know use it uh, as a sort of a basis to negotiate with this other side. So say to them, hang on, I'm getting my own valuation. Get it. You might find that it's markedly different. It might alternatively be completely the same, which would then help you in making your deliberation and decision as to what you should do. But of course, I would imagine a valuation is going to cost you. Hmm. Is that a quantity surveyor? Is that is that what they do? I don't think they're after a quantity surveyor. I think that it's somebody. Um, a quantity surveyor deals with with property, doesn't he, uh, yeah. usually, and, and, and working out um, 
um, bricks sort of, and mortar. Exactly and, yeah. that. Yeah, you're talking here of someone with the expertise of being able to value a business. So it's somebody I would imagine in that sort of in that sort of field. Yeah. I'm just thinking if the other thing being if if you spent say 25 grand on a bit of machinery hmm. and you bought it and it was brand new, hmm. but then you've been using it for two or three years. Yeah, it is fairly negotiable what that. That, well, that, you, that bit of machinery is now worth, I presume. Well, you're talking about the fixtures and fittings, aren't you, in that business? And, and it might be another option for this person might be if you're reaching a compromise, um, you might say, well, actually, I'll sell the business for X amount as a going concern, but the fixtures and fittings aren't part of it, or you pay extra for the fixtures and fittings. So you've got a number of things there, variables to negotiate over when you're at the negotiating table. But but uh, as you rightly say, if there's something that's brand new there and you've just paid 25 grand for it, it's not going to massively depreciate in value. And I would imagine CM would want that reflected in the sale price. Uh, CM, thank you for your email. If you've got a question, send it through to surgery at citytalk.fm. That's surgery at citytalk.fm. Thursday afternoons, uh, we have the legal surgery here on City Talk 105.9. Dear City Talk, writes Lee, what are the rules about driving when you've had an undiagnosed seizure? Do I need to inform the DVLA and will this mean I lose my licence? Yeah, I'd go and get yourself checked out, first of all, <clears throat> simply because if you were to have a seizure whilst driving and if you were to cause an accident... Um, certainly if, if you've had other seizures and you've done nothing about it then you might be deemed to be driving carelessly if you've carried on driving so I think the first thing you need to do is to go and have yourself checked out medically if thereafter you are told by an expert yep it's a seizure I think then you, you're going to have to sort of say to the DVLA I've had a seizure and they may then want you to be medically examined but at least you're doing things correctly uh, rather than, than carrying on driving and, and ignoring what you think might be a seizure so, so the starting point has got to be you know go to see your quack um and, and ask if you can be assessed as to whether or not you may have suffered a seizure that might require mri scans and the like but at least get to the bottom of it and then when you have some medical support to what you think might have happened then is the opportunity for you to 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 go to the dvla and certainly the dvla are going to say well um you know have you had any treatment for it they may want to be to have you medically examined also but at least then you're covering your own back so in terms of might you lose your license look if you're assessed and you're you're still able to drive and perhaps you're medicated for it perhaps it wasn't a seizure then there won't be a problem but uh, you might they might revoke your license i think there are lots of people out there who've, who've had seizures in the past you're driving just do it legitimately and let the dv let the the doctor know and once you assess thereafter th- think about your position with the dvla and for your own peace of mind outside totally. of the, outside totally, of the yeah. driving as well yeah. uh, lee thank you for your email and uh, best of luck to you uh dear city talks legal surgery formally that's uh, written by liam there uh what is the cutoff point from receiving a private car park parking fine ignoring it and not receiving a follow-up fine in the post. I didn't pay because I believed it to be unjust last summer. It doesn't say uh, what date or what month it was last summer, but I have not heard from them since. Liam? Well, I guess not hearing from them is a good thing. Um, In terms of cut-off point, well, I suppose it would be a contractual issue, and in uh, in the law of contract, the limitation is six years, so they could bring something against you in that timescale. But I would have thought, really, they'd have done something by now if you're talking about 
well, coming up to, to you know nine, ten months, and the, and you still haven't heard anything. The chances are really you're not going to hear anything again. They would have issued proceedings in a county court by now, I think, if they'd have done anything. You've had the one letter, I would imagine. Uh, you, you've ignored it, and, and more often than not, people in your in your position who do ignore correspondence, it's a bit of a Mexican standoff, really, with the with the company who issue these parking fines. Sometimes they do pursue it, and you get letters, etc. Other times they just back off and leave it, and it might be that you are in that in that latter category where they've simply left you to it and won't pursue you again. So in terms of timescale, are, are you, for instance, in the clear? Not necessarily, no, but I think the longer the time goes on, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to say, hmm, I've, I've succeeded. Uh, Liam, thank you for your email. Uh, by the way, if you go to the City Talk website and you just type in legal surgery, you can listen to a previous um, epi- episodes? Are they episodes of the surgery? Yeah, we're like the Archers, aren't we? Or uh, Emmerdale. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, previous programmes uh, that people can listen back to. So if you've ever sent in a question and you think, oh, I don't know if I can listen next week, it'll always be on the website for you to uh, to check out uh, by the end of play on Friday. So you can check that out on the website, citytalk.fm, where, like I say, there will be a picture of Mark Ellis. He will be wearing a tie in the photo. He's not wearing a tie today. Uh, let's move on with another question. I'll tell you what, we just mentioned their cut-off points. There was another question. I'll just skip one and we'll come back to another question. He okay. says, Dear Legal Surgery, I was arrested last March, the 28th to be exact, but let go pending inquiries. I want to know how long they have to charge me and I am wondering if they have a certain time period before it is too long. So that's uh, cut-off points again. This one referring back to uh, what appears to be an alleged uh, criminal incident, possibly in March of last year. Yeah, gr- great question, and people often often ask that question. Really, uh, when you know they've been in the police station, they're waiting, or indeed they're waiting for a summons, and they think, well, you know, how long have the police got? If we're talking about a summary only offence, so let's say um, let's say a common assault, which can be tried in the in, in the magistrate's court, something like that, then the police would have to have you summoned or charged before the court within six months of the, of the date of the offence. So summary-only offences um, within six months of, of, of the date of the offence, OK? Um, if it's an either-way offence or an indictable-only offence, and what I mean by that is offences that can be tried either in the magistrate's court or the Crown Court, so things like you know theft or, or assault occasioning actual bodily harm or handling stolen goods or something of that nature, those sort of offences... They're open-ended in terms of, of when the case can be brought, so you might find that, that you're not charged for 6, 12, 18 months, and, and you would have no argument to say, well, actually, they're out of time. So if it's a summary-only offence, and you will know the nature of the allegation, but if it's a summary-only offence, uh, then really you're talking about six months. If it isn't an, a summary-only offence, then, uh, for instance, speeding offences and things like that, they're all summary-only. They, they would stay in the magistrate's court. They're not going to go anywhere near the... Um, the, the the crown court so therefore you've got that six month limitation but anything else there is it's open ended it's very much open ended so in terms of how long can you stay on bail for if you've been bailed by the police well not forever certainly and sometimes people whose whose cases have been rumbling on they've been bailed by the police and bailed by the police eventually they're discharged from their bail and the police just simply say well we'll be in touch with you you can't be on bail forever and a day it would be most unfair to do that um, but sometimes inquiries do go rumbling on and people are on bail for quite a considerable period of time okay thank you for your email uh last one we've only got a couple of minutes left on this one mark uh okay. and it's somebody asking about a claim for a personal injury they dislodged uh, they fell on a on a pavement slab broke three fingers and a bone in the hand they had a plaster cast fitted but then uh went to the clinic uh, the fingers were not positioned correctly and they had to have a new cast fitted 
and uh, they have to restart the six-week recovery. Uh, so they've been in plaster or will have been in plaster for eight weeks. They want to claim for personal injury. Yeah, that, that's fine. You've got three years from, from the date of the accident to do something about it, but I would uh, I would do it very quickly. The most obvious way to do it is to go to see your local solicitor. There are all sorts of solicitors who, who deal with personal injury. My firm, James Murray, do. I know Mick's going to say, but there are other firms. There are indeed other firms, Mick, who will do. Well, the fir- uh, but, they, uh, they are available. They are available. And, and you know, shop around and see what you can get. Um, firms, you know, various firms offer various rates, etc. So, but but uh, do shop around and see what you can find. I'm sure whichever firm of solicitors that you you go to will will help you and and, um, and take the case on and and notify the other side of your claim. That's how you start it. You notify them. They in turn notify the insurers, and the case progresses from there. So that's your starting point, really. Go and find a solicitor. Uh, and uh, with that, Mark, we're out of time. Thank you for your time this week. Uh, people can listen back to previous episodes of The Legal Surgery on the website, and you can uh, email your questions in for next week's show to surgery at citytalk.fm. That's surgery at citytalk.fm, and we could be helping you out on the show next week. Mark Ellis back with us next week. He's from James Murray Solicitors, and he's our resident solicitor here on City Talk 105.9. News and sport on the way next, and we'll get you traffic and travel too. <laughs> This is the City Surgery on City Talk 105.9.